Okay, we're turning to the book of Job tonight in our series. Uh, we're doing Job and God tonight, how the two interacted and uh, what happened. It's one of the great stories of the Bible. And it uh, goes back in time to the time of Abraham. So if we're going to put it chronologically in the Bible, it would be in Genesis, way back in Genesis. When, and there's certain things that help us to know that as we read through it, how long he lives and, and uh, things like that help us to know. And a couple of other things that we'll make a note of as we go along. And there's some main character, of course, being Job and God. Really, I guess God's the main character because they're trying to figure out life. Everybody got life all figured out yet? Everybody got that figured out? It's hard to figure. And it's hard to wrap our mind around why things happen to us and what happens to us and how did it happen and so forth and how do we explain it. And this is a book to show why this happened and teach us an awful lot about the unfolding of life uh, and how it goes. And so we begin at chapter 1. We'll go down through and see a few things here in this amazing story. And don't get it wrong, this is a true story. Job is referred to in other passages of Scripture uh, back as a character. So you will hear, and I've heard, I just heard just the other day, somebody on TV, ah, there's an old story about this guy named Job. Well, it's not just a story. This is a historical event, something that happened. There was a man in the land of Oz, it says. And so if we were to uh, think about the Mediterranean Sea, this is Canaan, was called the Promised Land, Abraham came from a place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, over here, uh, what will later be called Babylon. That's where Abraham came from. And somewhere way down here is this land called Uz, somewhere down there. And so he seems to know about things that Abraham knows, and we'll show you that in a little bit. And, uh, show you who he is. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was a perfect and upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, you won't find that anywhere else in the Bible. Nobody else got called perfect in the Bible. He's the guy right there. Of course, we know Jesus was. But uh, here's one. That's called perfect and upright. Does it mean he never did anything wrong? Well, you'd think that's what perfect meant, wouldn't you? Uh, and then I'm going to say, as far as that definition of perfect, he's almost perfect. How's that? <laughs> he did do something wrong, which we'll come across as we go along. But uh, uh, I think perfect and upright means that he did things and viewed life in every way that God intended it to be lived. He did the right things. Let's see what he did. There was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. So he's got ten children. Which is a crew, isn't it? Right. You got ten children. And we'll find out more about them in just a minute. And his substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. So we got 7,000 sheep, we got 3,000 camels. That's a lot of camels. And uh, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she asses, and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. He's got another 1,000. And so he's got uh, 11,000 animals. I worked on a farm with maybe 250. I can't imagine working on one with 11,000. All right, that was a huge, huge, a uh, lot of animals to care for. And so, as you can imagine, there's a lot of people working for Job. Verse 4. 
And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, or that they had a certain day, maybe a week or a month or whatever. And each son of the uh, seven of them said, there was parties at my house today. Feast, or a celebration. We do that at my house every once in a while, or at Levi's, or at Heidi's, wherever we are. Go and have a feast. That's, that's living. That's life. Good life. Everyone is day and set and call for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So here's Job's family. There's ten of them. They all get along well. <laughs> you thought he wasn't perfect. Well, there you go. He's got his act together because his children just love each other and want to be together. So that's a very happy family. It was so when the days their feasting were gone about, Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned, cursed gods in their hearts, and thus did Job continually. Now, he's offering burnt offerings. So whenever the family has a party, he takes 10 of his animals and offers them as burnt offerings. And uh, it would be whole burnt offerings. Take the whole animal, sacrifice it to God. Now he's back in Genesis. This is before God told Moses to make sacrifices. Now what we know for sure is that God told Adam to make sacrifices. And Adam told his sons, right, Cain and Abel, to make sacrifices. And so uh, the original sacrifices, what we believe, was that God sacrificed animals and took the skins and made clothes out of them. And so because you sinned and recognized that you were naked, didn't know it before. Now you know it. So God's going to cover you because of your sin. He's going to cover you. So sacrifices became regular things in early human history right away. As soon as they're humans, they learn to sacrifice. And Job's knowledge of it has to come from that. It didn't come from Moses. Moses hasn't been born yet. All right. So he has knowledge that he lives by that goes back to the beginning of time. Job followed the instruction of Adam. All right, now Cain made a bad sacrifice. Abel made a good one. Cain killed Abel. But Seth, the son of Adam, would be the one that carried on that tradition through men like uh, Enoch walked with God, and Noah, all right, and then it would go up to Abraham. So Job's information goes way back to the beginning of time. He's pretty close to the beginning of time after the flood, uh, but still in memory of it. So he's a pretty good guy, and he uh, makes sure that his children are covered that their sins don't get them in trouble. He's a, he's a wonderful fellow. Here we go. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them. Now, what's happening here? We get a historical picture. There's a wealthy man with a big happy family. Now, in the book, we pull aside the curtain. You get to look into heaven. Doesn't happen very often. In a few places in the Bible, you get to look into heaven. <clears throat> and here, uh, you're going to get to look into heaven. And so uh, the, the author here pulls back the curtain, and suddenly we're going to look into heaven, and we're going to learn about Satan. Some of the very first things that we learn about Satan come from the book of Job, number one, he came to present himself before the Lord. That is, he is required uh, to report in. He's required to report to God. All right, in the day when angels 
have to report and now Satan has to report. And a lot of times people have in their idea that Satan is some kind of master of evil ruling over all evil and God is struggling to try and maintain. Not the case. That is not the case. God is not struggling to maintain control over Satan. He's got him right there. Ever had him there. All right? Now, when Satan broke loose, tried to be rebellious, he's going to take care of that, too. And Satan is the central figure on the evil side, but he is required to report to God when God says, hey. All right, so he has to report in. So he is not just out doing whatever he feels like. He's got to answer. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, once cometh thou, and Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. So the second thing we learn about God is he's uh, traveling around the earth, traveling around the whole world and watching. All right. And so that's another important thing we learn about Satan here. Satan is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. He can be in all places at all times, but Satan is not. Satan is only in one place at one time, and that's the only place he can be. What does he do? Well, he's traveling up and down the world, looking around the world. How does he travel in the world? Well, he travels in a dimension that the Bible calls the air. We have four dimensions mentioned in the Bible. The first one is this time-space continuum that we live in, and we're trapped here. Okay? We're stuck in this dimension of existence. Hell is another dimension of existence where the punishment of God is exacted. Uh, and then we have heaven, throne of God, the third dimension of existence. And then the fourth dimension, the Bible calls the air for a better thing. It is a dimension that's right next to us. It's right here. And other beings besides us can travel in that dimension and cover this world and not be seen. And we see it all through the Bible where an angel suddenly appears. And then suddenly he's gone. Where did he go? Well, he slips into another dimension called the air. Satan is called the prince and power of the air, that dimension, because he can move anywhere he wants around the world and not be seen unless he allows himself to be seen. All right, so uh, he's been walking up and down around the earth. So where is he going to be? Let's see. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and eschews evil? He says, In your wanderings, what's Satan looking for? He's looking for God's best people. That's where he wants to attack. And he finds, of course, he said. Verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and said that Job feared God for none. Third thing is Job... Is an, or Satan is an accuser. He accuses people immediately. All right? I don't care who you are, he's got an accusation against you. You personally, he's got an accusation. So here's God says, Well, just, were you, did you notice Job? Yeah, I noticed him. He's perfect, right? Yeah, well, uh, he fears God for no good reason. Oh, I wonder why. Verse 10, Hast thou not made a hedge about him, about his house, about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. And so here's a wonderful bit of information about God that Satan has to deal with, is that people who God blesses are, are hedged. That is, a, a hedge of thorns is around him, and Satan says, I can't get at him. I'd like to get at him and give him a good moon, but I can't because he's got a hedge of protection around him. And so we learn that God puts a hedge of protection, and certainly that's the whole story of the Old Testament. One character after another is protected by God. So that's a fact that... We all kind of know. Verse 11, put forth his hand now, touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee. 
to thy face. Right, here's the accusation. Here's why, and Satan says, here's why Job thinks the world of God, because God filled up his pockets. After all, he's got 11,000 creatures down there. He's loaded. He's the richest man in the world, and uh, that's why he likes God. <laughs> that's a pretty interesting accusation. He says he only likes God for the blessings. That's why he likes you, God, because of the blessings that you give him. Well, old Satan, pretty smart old character. Because if you want to get a hold of our society today, you'll find that everywhere. We call it prosperity doctrine. You're going to believe in Jesus, going to trust in Jesus. Here's what's going to happen where he's going to fill your pockets. You're going to get checks in the mail. You're going to get money. You're going to get all kinds of things coming straight from God. So if you want God, get ready. He's going to fill your pockets and people come by the millions. I'll take that. I'll take that. All right. And Satan could say that about a lot of people today. He said, oh, they're in it for the blessings. And that's very true. They are in it, many of them, for the blessings. He's not dumb. He understands things about human nature. And he understands. He says, well, Job, look at him. He's on top of the world. No wonder he loves God. All right? He says, if you put forth your hand and take away what he has, he'll curse you. He doesn't really love you. He loves the things you give him. 12, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So God said, Go ahead. If you think that's true, try it. I give you permission to try it. All right. So let's find out ooh, what Satan's all about. Verse 13. It was the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, the Savians fell upon them, took them away, and they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So uh, there's uh, all the asses and uh, oxen. So there's a thousand gone. All right, let's see what else. Well, he was yet speaking, it came another and said, The fire of God fall from heaven and burned up the sheep, and the servants consumed with them. I only am left to tell you that 7,000 of them down to 3,000. Well, he was yet speaking, it came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, fell on the camels, have carried them away, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped to tell you. And so now, in two minutes, right? One's talking, the next one arrives, and well, that one's talking, the next one arrives. It's all gone. Two minutes of time. Well, Job, you got, there's no animals left. They're entirely gone. That's nothing. Well, he was yet speaking, verse 18, came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, smote the four corners of the house, it fell on the young men, they are dead. I only am escaped to tell thee. Wow. So, I want you to see the ten children are gone now. And this man, this Satan, is vicious. This is a very vicious character, very violent and vicious. You know, people have the idea he runs around in a little red union suit with a pointed tail and plays tricks on people. You know, don't think that. He is vicious. He would do anything to kill you. He would do anything. He'd love to kill you. That's what he wants. He wants us to be dead. He'd do anything in his power to kill you. So now we got a picture of Satan. All right? 
He's required to come to God. He's not all-powerful. He travels around the world looking for people that he can trouble. He accuses them of everything he can think of. And he will use any vicious, vicious thing uh, to... So, all that comes in five minutes. Five minutes. And Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down on the ground and worshipped Wow. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin with his mouth. And he says, The Lord gives, therefore, it's okay if the Lord takes. So we're going to see followed down a series of comments that Job makes about God and life. And they're very, very, very valuable to you and I. The Lord will give, and the Lord then has the ability to take. He can give you, he can take from you. And so we want God to give us, right? God, give me, give me, give me, give me. You ever say, God, take, 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 take? I don't think anybody prays that. But Job says it's okay. Ten children? Uh, that's an extraordinary thing to say when ten of your children just got wiped out, all of them, in one fell swoop. Now, we know that it was Satan turned loose that did it. He doesn't know that. Now, I'll put yourself in it. You know, we can say, well, yeah, that's the work of Satan. You can tell that right away. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know what happened. He has no idea why that happened. And so, when he's there, and your first question would be, what are you doing, God? This is it's okay. God gave me everything I had. And if he takes away everything I had, that's the way I came into the world. That's an extraordinary man. This isn't the kind of guy uh, that you and I are or that we know even. This is an extraordinary man who uh, will not blame God for doing anything wrong. Chapter 2. Again, there came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came amongst them to present himself before the Lord. Same thing. Another time, the Lord says unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Satan answered, Going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down. And the Lord said to Satan, As thou consider my servant Job, there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and is Jewish. And still he holds fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. You said, Satan, he would curse me if I took everything he had. So you, I turned you loose, you took everything. You didn't leave anything, but one thing was left. You took everything else, and you're wrong. He did not curse me. Verse 4, Satan answered the Lord, Yea, skin for skin, yea, all that man hath will he give from his life. Put forth thy hand, now touch his bone, his flesh, he will curse thee to thy face. And he says, if I can touch his body, if I can disease him and make him sick, He'll turn on you like crazy. And uh, he's got that right, too, in human nature. Uh, part of the accusing is health. That's what we call the health and wealth doctrine. You're going to be healthy and rich if you follow God. No. No. No promise of that. No promise of that. So, <coughs> Wow. Uh, seven. Let's show you what he's like. Now, he can't kill him. God said you can't kill him. So, what would you do if you could do anything you wanted 
7. Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils. From the crown, sole of his foot to the crown of his head, he took a potsherd to scrape himself with all, sat down among the ashes. So he's got these big boils coming up on the bottom of his feet, all over his body, on his arms and hands and legs. And what do you do? Well, you take a piece of pottery and scrape them so the pus runs out. Sits down in the ashes and scrapes himself with a piece of pottery. And you know he's in a lot of pain. People say one of the worst pains they ever had was shingles, which is a tiny version of what he had. You know, we have shingles, a little patch on our body somewhere. Painful, hurts a lot. But he's got that all over, all over. So, one thing he had left was his wife. Verse 9, his wife said to him, Does thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die? I love you, Job. <laughs> we had ten children together. I'd just soon see you dead. Now, I don't know if she said that maliciously, uh, he'll tell her, verse 10, he said unto her, Thou speakest of one of the foolish women. All right, and here's what he says What shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive evil? And he says, If we're going to take the good, if we take what's good, should we complain if something bad comes? Is that something we should complain about? We've taken all this good. Should we? And so, he's really an extraordinary man. He won't complain. He just will not complain. More than that, he will not say anything against God. And we see things that happen to people and we say, why did God do that? Why did God do this? Why did God give that person cancer? Why did God do this? Why did... He never would say that. And look what happened to him. So this is an extraordinary man. Now what's about to happen is there are three friends he has that are going to come. And they're going to sit down. They're going to sit in a week for a whole week in the ashes and not even speak to him. They don't even say nothing. They all sit there with their mouth shut for a week. And refuse to speak because look at him. What are you going to say to him? How can you help somebody that is so bad off? But eventually they'll start talking. <laughs> and what we have in the book of Job is philosophy, right? human philosophy. We have <coughs> uh, concepts about life. And these concepts of life, how does life unfold? How does life work? And these three guys will give human philosophy. I'm going to tell you it is not bad advice. A lot of what they say is real and true. A lot of what they say is actually uh, helpful. But no help at all to Job. They don't help Job one bit because he's over here trying to figure out God and they're making philosophy and they got nothing to do with each other. So it's a warning first of all that philosophy is not the answer to life's problems. All right, looking at life and saying, okay, this kind of something that happens in life, those things might be true, that might be real. But uh, saying that here's what's wrong with you, Job, that's not good. That's where they get in trouble. So here we look at verse 3, or chapter 3, and Job's next response. <clears throat> After sitting in the dust for a week, Chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. Hey, wait a minute. 
I thought he wasn't cursing it. Well, he's cursing his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish when I was born. The night which was said, There is a man child conceived. Let that day be darkness, and let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. All right, he said, I wish I was never born. And down to verse 11, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? He says, I wish I was, first of all, never conceived. I wish I never was formed in the womb. And if that had to be, at least it could have happened as I died stillborn. That's what I wish was happening. I wish I was dead. All right? I wish... I was dead. Anybody want to disagree with him? Not me. Take ten of my children. I want to be dead. I don't. I don't have any desire to live. I want to be dead. Take my children, all ten of them at once. Yeah, I want to be dead too. So he's telling. This is how I feel. Uh, I, I wish I was dead. This is so much and so horrible. I just wish I was dead. Now these four philosophers are going to step in. They talk for hours. <laughs> and most of the book of Job is filled up with, they make a comment, Job answers back. They make a comment, Job answers back, and so on. And so the first one is Elipaz the Temanite in chapter 4. And we're going to look uh, down at verse 7. Remember, I pray thee, who ever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off, even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Now, that's a true statement. What a man sows, so shall he reap. That is a statement that's true. But what he just said, the reason your kids are dead, because they were wicked. That is not true. And so he says, your children sinned. That's why this happened. Your children sinned. From the description we have, I think we could almost say that didn't happen. They all get along continually, spending time together, feasting together, their father carefully sacrificing every time they do. Uh, but Elipas says, had to be. Why else would all ten of them die? They're just being punished by God. And now, like I said, the philosophy is true. People who do wrong will have to pay a price, but that's probably not what's going on here. And that's always the problem. Now we go to chapter 6. Job is going to answer back. And we're going to focus on what Job says as we go through. Because if you're trying to figure out why your life is like it is, why you have gone through the things you've gone through, or whatever it is you're going through now, and you're trying to, what's happening? Here's some of the things that come up and... Uh, you're bound to think yourself. All right, chapter 6, verse 1. Job answers that, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, my calamity laid in the balances together, for now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. And down, uh, and he says, You don't know how I feel. He said, If you could sense my grief, but you don't know I feel. You don't know how I feel. And lots of times I've been with dying people and I have to say, I don't know how you feel. I've seen people in such agony and pain they can hardly stand it and I think to myself, I don't know I got to say, I don't know how they feel. Look at chapter 7, and verse 5. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. So he's got maggots crawling on him. 
and his skin is literally broken open all over uh, from the boils. He's got open sores all over his body. How do you feel? I don't know. I never had that. So uh, one of the things that's hard for us to say is I know how you feel. And hopefully in our life we have experiences where we can help other people. When my mother took a long time to die, gave me a lot of chances to experience those things, and I think it's been useful to me, but uh, a lot of things I got no reference to. And when somebody says, you don't know how I feel, you have to kind of say, yeah, probably I don't. Probably I don't. Next comes, uh, the next character is Bildad, the second, quote, friend, quote, <laughs> stops in. Chapter 8 and verse 4. If thy children have sinned against him, and he has cast them away for their transgressions, if thou wouldst seek the Lord betimes and make up thy supplicant to thou almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely he would now awake for thee, make the habitation of thy righteousness profit. Says your children sinned, and if you would have prayed, for your children. If you would have done what you should have done for your children, God wouldn't have let it happen. But you're wrong too. So Bildad goes a step further and he said, not just your children's sin, you sin also. You had to be in order for such a thing to happen. Right. That's the only way that could happen. Chapter 10. Chapter 10. <clears throat> and this is a point where we would come to the first moment it happened. Now, he's been talking for a few chapters, sitting silently in the dust. First thing he said, look, we took all the good the Lord gave us, and we're, we're going to take the bad too. Chapter 10. Verse 1, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, do not contend, condemn me. Show me wherefore where thou contendest with me. Or he says, what did I do? Why? Why, God? What did I do. Now, what do we know? Because we got to look behind the curtain at a time. We know what? He didn't do anything. Right? He was upright. He was good. He was said by God, that's a perfect guy. Look at him down there sacrificing for his children. So he comes to the point and says, Now, God, why? Why did you do this? What? Tell me what I did. I want you to tell me what I did. I don't know. And this is confusing to me. Only we know that Satan accused him. And Satan was the motion, the vicious character behind the attacks on Job. We know that. He doesn't. He doesn't know what Satan did. He probably doesn't even know about Satan other than what he heard from his last great entrance, the Garden of Eden, right? Garden of Eden, Satan came, says to Adam and Eve, you can be your own boss. <laughs> you don't need God, all right? And so uh, he's probably heard of that, but he doesn't know Satan walks up and down the earth accusing and he's vicious and violent. He doesn't know that. Doesn't know. So he says a lot that he doesn't know. And so he says to God, why? Why? I don't like to ask God why. Because I always think there's something I did. And sure, surely there's something I did. If something happens, it's different. I'm not perfect. I'm not Job, not by a long shot. All right, so I, when it comes to wise, I can, well, I can maybe guess, okay? <laughs> comes the third character, Zophar. Uh, the first one, Elipaz, is a nice guy. Got pretty good philosophy, even though he's wrong. Bill Dad's a little bit more to the point. Zophar is one of them guys I grew up with, just plain nasty. 
All right, 11, chapter 11, the third friend, verse 4. For thou hast said, talking to Job, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in thine eyes. Oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. He would show thee the secrets of wisdom. They are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacted of thee less than thine iniquity deserved. Wait a minute. This guy's nasty. He said, oh, you only lost 10 kids and everything you own. You should have been worse. He's sitting there scraping himself. She should have been worse, he said. Whew. That's not a friend like that. You're going to meet an enemy. All right? Uh, you deserve worse. His uh, comments are always short Joe probably said, thank God for that. I don't want to hear him go on. All right? The less he says, the better. And <laughs> that's what I would have said, too. Now, chapter 13. Job is going to say something here. It's really outstanding. Really outstanding. Chapter 13, verse number 13. Hold your peace, talking to the other ones. Let me alone that I may speak, and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth, put my life in my hand? All right. He says, I feel like my life is holding just by my hand. And if I let go, I'll die. Though he slay me, Yet will I trust in him. There you go. There's the master. That's what makes him so superlative. He said, well, what? you said God didn't give you everything you deserve. He said, maybe not, he said. But if God said, I'm going to kill you, he could kill me, and I'd still trust him. I'd still trust him. That's the guy that's got his act together. He said, no matter what happens in his life, God is not evil. God is not bad. God doesn't do these things. And so if some reason that God killed me, all I can think of is uh, I'm going to trust him no matter what. There's a few people in the Bible. Remember Abraham, he said, kill your son. God said, kill your son, sacrifice him. And the Bible says he took a knife, and he almost did it. He was an inch away from killing him, and God stopped him. And he said, well, you said he's the promised one, and out of him is going to come the Messiah. And so if you want me to kill him, there's only one thing can happen. He's got to be resurrected from the dead by you. So I'll go ahead and kill him, and you resurrect him. That's a lot of faith. That's a tremendous amount of faith. And here he says, it's so bad, and I'm sitting here, and they're telling me you deserve worse. And he says, well, okay, if he kills me, I will still trust him. I will still trust him. So that's an extraordinary comment. It's one of the great ones that he makes. And uh, he says things that are really something. Chapter 17. As we highlight through. If he kills me, I trust him. A good thing to be able to say. Chapter 17, verse 11. My days are past, my purposes are broken off, even the thoughts of my heart. They change the night into day, the light is short because of darkness. I wait, the grave is my house, I have made my bed in the darkness. All right, so he says, I'm just about ready to die. I'm almost dead. I'm almost dead. And that's a feeling that I've seen with people. I remember one guy 
I went to see him, and he said, you know, this is it. It's all over for me. They're going to come in, and they're going to put me on hospice, and I'm not going to live very long. I'm full of cancer right to the top, and I'm about to die. And uh, I'm almost dead. I said, well, they're going to start giving you some major drugs, so if you got business with God, you better do it right now and not wait. And he did. He took care of it right then, right then and there. He didn't wait. And that's, if you're almost dead, it's time to do it. I even saw a man who said, you're going to unplug me in a couple days. That's going to be it. I'm going to die. He said, get me a Paula's Donut and get me Eric. I kind of liked it myself. And uh, yeah, yeah, we talked and I said, well, you need to pray and ask God. Forgive anything you've ever done. And man, no, I never saw a man pray like that. He really prayed. You're almost dead. Better take care. Better take care. He's brought to the point, he said, where I'm almost dead. Chapter 23, I think that this is the most soul-searching passage in Job. (coughs) Chapter 23, I start on verse uh, 1 there. Even Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. And then verse 8, watch this. Behold, I go forward. He is not there. That's God. I'm going to run in that direction. I can't find God. I go backwards. I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. He said, wherever I search out this situation, my ten dead children and everything that's happened to me, I, I go that way as far as I can go. I can't see God in it. I go this way and that way as far as I can go. I can't see God in it no matter what he says. And I can't find him. And I wish he would come here and tell me what I did. I really want to know. But verse 10, he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He got it. He got to the bottom of it. He finally got to the bottom of it. God, apparently, because I can't get an answer, because I don't know what's going on, I can't get information. I, if I could, I'd tell God everything, but I can't. So the only thing I can say to him is he's trying me. He's going to test me. He's going to test me. And I will come out like fine gold in the end. I'll go through the fire and come out like fine gold. He's testing me. That's exactly what he did. He got it right. God did test him. That's what was happening. Satan said he's no good. He, he, he just loves his things. God said take away his things. We'll test him and see. Took away all his things. Didn't matter. Said, uh, he said, I, what he, he said, Lord gives, Lord takes away. Yeah, it's his health. Take away his health. Take away his health. We take bad things from God's hand as well as good. And so he's really got it. The testing of Job was because Satan made the accusation. And so he tested Job. And now he's finally said himself, hey, uh, I can't find God anywhere. So my only conclusion is he's testing me. And sometimes, my friends, that's the only conclusion you can make. 
when something happens and it's really outside of your ability to grasp what's going on, you're going to say, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. First of all, I am not going to give up on this. And second thing, whatever he's testing me for, I hope I pass the test. All right? So, Job looks pretty good. Well, we got just a little problem. Chapter 29. There's another guy that comes along, and he, these three guys finish their accusations. You're a sinner. You deserve worse and all the rest of it. And it's this young guy named Elihu. He jumps in. He says a whole lot of stuff. He talks way too much. <laughs> and uh, everything he said is kind of like uh, pop philosophy, call it, right? Uh, modern philosophy is as shallow and as useless as you can find philosophy of today. If you want to listen to the philosophy and you turn on some TV host and say, well, we have a talk show and we talk about it, don't let They're morons. That's what this guy was. He's kind of like a talk show host. He's going through all the stuff about life, what he thinks, and it's just about useless, all right? Now, Job will make an answer. Chapter 29 and verse 1. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that as we're in the months passes in the days when God preserved me. All right, there was a time when God was taking care of me. Now, here's what happened in those times. Verse 12 of chapter 29. Because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless, him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was father to the poor. For the cause which I knew not, I searched out. So he said, look, you know, I did a lot of good things. I helped poor people. Widows, I helped people without fathers. I did whatever I could. Uh, blind people couldn't see. I did whatever I could to help and lame people. I let them about. I did a lot of good in my lifetime. And I think uh, God should kind of take note of that. I did a lot of good. All right, he should have stopped. <laughs> the, the three fellows should have never said anything. They sat there for a week, and they should have just shut their mouth. They'd have been all right. But we always got to open our mouth, don't we? Elihu came along, and he said, well, you fellows got it all wrong. Let me talk. And he talked and talked and talked and talked and didn't say nothing worth hearing. Right, so they shouldn't have talked either. But now we get to the point where Job should have stopped talking. He's the one that should have stopped. So now uh, he says, well, God, look, at I did these good things, so I don't know what is going on. So, chapter 32. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now, see, we look at it and say, well, he didn't do anything wrong. Okay, all right. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. And also against his three friends was his wrath kindled as they found no answer yet condemned Job. They kept saying, sin, sin, sin. Job said, what sin? Well, we don't know, but it had to be. It must be sin. So they shouldn't have said anything because they didn't know what they were talking about. And Elihu finally says he justified himself. Okay, you did nothing wrong, all right, but he did take up a defense of himself. 
He started defending himself towards God. And that may be one of the hardest of life lessons to learn. Once I was in sort of a battle, <laughs> and uh, I was going off to a meeting, and my father looked at me. My father didn't give me a lot of advice. Probably when I was young, I didn't take any of it. Uh, when I got older, I listened better. But he said to me, what do you want to do? I said, well, they're having a meeting, and I'm going to the meeting. He said, I'll just tell you one thing. Do not defend yourself. That was a really good piece of advice. Do not defend yourself. Job has just spoke up and defended himself. He said, hey, God, you know, I did good. I helped blind and lame people and everything else. So finally, it's God's turn to talk. <laughs> and God's going to say a few things. And I love the way God talks. Chapter 38, God says, enough. You guys have said way too much. I'm going to talk. So you can't quite imagine what he's going to say. What's God going to say to these people? Job still doesn't know that Satan is behind us. All he knows is I don't know what happened. Everything I own, everything I loved is gone. I got one nasty wife left. That's all I got. All right? And so what am I going to do? Chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Or in other words, who is this talking that doesn't know what they're talking about? Gird up thy loins now like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Uh-oh. Okay, fellas, and Job, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I want an answer. I hope God never said that to me. Gird up your loins, or that's his... Get yourself ready. All right, put on your big boy pants, is what he's saying. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you better have some answers. So I want an answer. Here's the first question. Verse 4, where was thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. This world has a foundation. It sits in space, spinning in perfect orbit. And how did that, I set the world spinning in orbit. Where were you? I was looking for you, you weren't there. Where were you? Well, I, I didn't exist. Yeah. Who has laid the foundations thereof, if thou knowest? Or who stretched a line upon it? Where are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone? What holds this world in place? And you say who did it? He's not talking. <laughs> Verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Nobody could figure it out. And he says here that when God said uh, in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth and all of a sudden there's a world, this one we're standing on, spinning in space, orbiting around the sun and turning as it goes and all of that perfect movement that keeps our temperatures like they should be in our day and our night all runs in perfect order. And he said, when the angels in heaven, that's the sons of God, saw it, and when he said, let there be light, and you could look at this beautiful creation, they said, Wah! <laughs> Look at that. Look what God did. Were you there? No. no. Verse 8. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it issued out of the womb? All of a sudden, there's water coming over the earth, huge amounts. And God says, oh, stop it right there. Now we got the Atlantic Ocean. Let's stop it here. We got the Pacific Ocean. Where were you, he says, when I was doing all those things? 
Look at chapter 39. Verse 1, knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth, or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? I have lived in the swamp my whole life. I have wandered through the swamp with my father and by myself. I've been all through it and seen a lot of things. I have never, and he never, saw a deer giving birth. And him, I mean, he was out there living in it constantly. He said, I never saw a deer give birth. Well, he said, and he, did you ever see that? How about the goats went up in the mountain? Did you ever see them have a baby? No. Eh, you don't know so much, do you? Do you? I, he goes on a little farther, chapter uh, 41. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put his hook in his nose, or bore his jaw through with a thorn? He says, how about an alligator, or probably a crocodile? Can you catch one with your fishing pole? <laughs> Can you stick a little hook in his mouth? Will it even go through his mouth? Can't catch an alligator with that. And so... Chapter 40, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Are you going to teach me? Let him answer it. And Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer, yea, twice. I will proceed no further. He said, I am done talking. <laughs> Should have done that a long time ago, Job. And now you got more questions to answer. And God will go on and on asking these questions, talking about uh, what we think is a... Uh, uh, elephant not an elephant but a uh, uh what's the other one it's on the tip of my tongue he, rhinoceros yeah he says, can, can you can you get a rhinoceros and get a hold of him and hang on to him no you can't no nothing you can do he says you you really don't have much going on so he finally says all right i'm i'm gonna shut my mouth so in other words god's thing is what do you know do you know anything? Do you know anything? I know when the world was created and how it was set up, and I know the creatures that are in. I watch these deer give birth and the goats in the mountains. I know when they give birth, and I know how to catch an alligator, and I can create a rhinoceros, and I can do all that. What can you do? Can you do anything? And he finally says... <laughs> That's the best thing. Shut your mouth. There's a time when we will ask God maybe why. And you may say, oh, you don't know how I feel. What did I do? But there's a time when you shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. That's the great philosophy of Job's book is everybody talked too much. And then God said, I'll shut this down and ask a few questions. They can't even answer one of those questions. And he goes on and on and on and on about uh, all the things that he's created that he, nobody knows. And so... Chapter 42, Job answered the Lord, said, I know that thou canst do everything. No thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered, and that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare unto me. Uh, verse 6, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust. And ashes. The last thing, the last thing he says is, I repent. I'm sorry. Did he do anything wrong in the beginning? No. 
But when he got arguing and fighting and complaining and thinking and trying to figure everything out like he ought to have all the answers, he went too far. He was good when he said, if God kills me, I'll trust him. He was good when he says, I know he's testing me, and I'm going to come out right in the end. But then he started saying, look, I did a lot of good stuff. I did a lot of good. And God said, no, here's what I'll take from you. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's, I'll take that. That's the right thing. All right. So he says, God says to him, uh, now, your three friends uh, really messed up. And I am going to charge them with a whole lot of stuff. The only way they'll be free is if you take a sacrifice and you pray for them. Job says, I will pray for them. And so, uh, verse 9, Elipaz, the team and I, Bildad, and Shuai, Zophar, the name of Amathite, went, did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So, instead of 11,000 animals, he had 22,000 in the end. All right. And he had 10 more children. Verse 13, he also has seven sons and three daughters. 10 more. Now it says he's going to have twice as much. This is a good thought, right? So then why didn't he get 20? Because he still had 10 up in heaven. Those who are departed from us are still just as much ours as they were here. So he's got 20 children now. Ten up there, ten down here. Double what he had. And, he, and verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years, saw his sons, his sons' sons, even four generations. Job died being old and full of days. So he lives to be about 120, which is about the same age as Abraham would grow to be. So he's back in that time frame. But the philosophy of living... Uh, there's an awful lot of, I, here's what I think, and here's what, no, no, no. It was all wrong. It was all wrong. We can look at life and try to analyze life, maybe come up with some conclusions, conclusions, but God has his ways, and what happens is up to him. He will decide and run things in our life. And we're very much... I'm more and more convinced all the time that he's got a plan for every one of us from the day we're born or before we're born. And we're living out that plan. And if we find what we can to do to serve him, all right, he opens the doors for us. We go through the door. All right? Don't think you know too much. The book of Job is you don't know much, so shut your mouth. That's a good philosophy right there. You don't know. You don't know as much as you think you know. And that's the conclusion that they all came to after God stepped in. So shut your mouth and trust God. You'll be all right. Thank you. Book of Job.